Last week we saw how God has been promising hope from the very beginning. This week we're going to look at a different nuance of that. We're going to look at the goal of our hope. And so the question is, you know, God has been promising hope from the beginning, but what is the, what is the point? What's the, what's the purpose? What's the goal? Why? And in answering that question, we have to clarify some of the language that we often use. We often use language like, we got saved. Well, the question is, you got saved from what? Or maybe a better question is, you got saved for what? Not just what did He save you out of, but what did He save you for? I think when we look at what we're being saved from, we're saved from sin and the effects of sin. And one of the biggest effects of sin is it causes a break in our relationship with God. We are born into this world sinful. We are born with a sinful nature. And because of that, we are born without a relationship with God. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. He says, formerly, before you came to Christ, formerly, when you did not, what? Know God. You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now, you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. That's what we're saved from. We're saved from our sin that causes a break in our relationship with God. But we often stop there. We often say, well, that's what, I've been delivered, but why have we been delivered? What are we saved for? We're saved for a relationship with God. That's what it's all about. Our sin caused a failure in the relationship with God, and now through what Christ is doing, we are restored into a relationship with God. Once again, the Apostle Paul says it this way in Philippians 3. He says, But whatever gain that I had before, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of, look, knowing Him. Knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For His sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. That I may know Him, He says in verse 10. If we're in Christ this morning, we're saved so that we can know Him. So that that relationship can be restored. And I'll go a step further and say, that is what we were created for. That is what we're created for. That is the reason why we exist. is to reflect God's glory and to know Him. In fact, that's the one thing that can satisfy us forever. We are wired for this church. And that's why when you, when you look at people uh, that are not in Christ, and you look at and just you see out in the world, out in the culture, just this sense of emptiness. It's because they're trying to fill all of these holes with things that are not meant to fill those holes. We were made for more. We were made to know God. And even in the Old Testament, 
as the prophets prophesied about this coming hope, this Messiah that would be born. Jeremiah prophesies. The Lord speaking through Jeremiah tells of a day when God would know His people. Jeremiah chapter 31 tells us that God desires a relationship with His people and not just mere rule keeping. Not just mere going through the motions. Not just mere church attendance. There's so much more. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. Please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my heart, my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Father, as we look at Your Word, as we look at Your promise to remedy our problem, and and we see that at the heart of it is a transformation from within that causes us to know You. Help us today, Lord to see that it is all about knowing You. That it's all about our relationship with You. And Father, I pray that You would purify us of empty religion. Purify us, Lord, of all the things that we turn to to try to satisfy us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Jeremiah is telling us That God is giving us newness. He's giving us something new. He's giving us, first of all, a new covenant. He's giving us a new heart. He's giving us a new relationship. Look at what he says in verse 31. He starts with a new covenant. He says, The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. What what on earth is a covenant? You you may hear that in religious circles, but what does that mean? Uh, The Holman Dictionary describes a covenant as an oath-bound promise whereby one party solemnly pledges to bless or serve another party in some specified way. When you think about today a contract... A covenant is a little bit more serious than even a contract. It's one party saying, I'm going to serve you in this way, and it spells out exactly what happens if they don't do that. In the Bible, we see lots of covenants. We see covenants between people. We see one person making a covenant to another person. But more often than not, we see God making a covenant with His people. 
And the way that they would make covenants, this is, to me is fascinating. Uh, it wasn't just you come in and sign on the, the dotted line. They would take animals and they would cut them in two. And I mean, they, they may take several and they would cut them in two. They would lay them on either side. And then the two people who were making a covenant together would join hands and walk down the middle in between the animal halves. And you may think, well, that, that seems really barbaric. Why on earth would they do that? Because for them, the imagery was very important. If one of us breaks the covenant, may we be like these animals. It's very serious. A lot of times, uh, there, there's two types of covenants that we see God making with His people. We see a conditional covenant where God says, I will do all of these things for you if you do this. There's an if. If you do this, then I will do this. He told the people on Mount Sinai, if you keep the rules, if you keep the law, then you will prosper in the land. But there's another type of covenant that God gives, and it's an unconditional covenant. It's one that does not have an if. It's one where God says, there's nothing on your end to keep. I will surely do this. And notice what God says, I'm going to give you a new covenant. Well, if He's saying, I'm going to give you a new covenant, then what's the old covenant? What's the old covenant? The people are under the old covenant. And basically, the old covenant is, if you follow these rules, all will go well. If you keep the rules, everything's going to go fine. And the, the law, the rules, of course, are summarized in the Ten Commandments. If you keep these things, everything's going to be fine between God and man. Notice what he says in verse 32. He says that their fathers broke the covenant. The if statement, they broke it. They didn't keep it. They didn't keep the rules. They didn't keep the law. And you know, that's not very surprising, is it? When I, when I think about humanity and, and, and rules and just sets of rules that God gives, of course we're going to fail. We, we have a sinful nature. They had a sinful nature. They failed to keep the law. They failed to keep the covenant. And so now God is promising a new covenant where He will transform His people from the inside out. Christianity is not about rule keeping. Christianity is, is not about keeping the, the law, going through the right motions, doing the right things. Christianity is about a heart transformation. And that's what God is foretelling of through the prophet Jeremiah. That He's going to give a new covenant, one that is not, you keep the rules and everything's going to go well. He's going to give you a new covenant where He transforms us from the inside out. A lot of times we think that if, if, if I just do the right things, if I show up at church, if I don't cuss, if I don't drink, if I don't go out and party, then everything is going to be good for me spiritually. If I read my Bible, if I do this, and we get in this trap thinking, if I just do these things, everything is going to be fine for me. 
But the question, I mean, just like Israel, eventually we're going to fail. And then what? And that's when how we look at Christianity, how we look at the Bible, how we look at the Gospel comes into play. If you have a performance-driven Christianity where you perform and then God blesses, then you're going to be miserable because you're going to feel like, man, when you fail, you've got to work even harder to try to make up for what you've done and work harder and work harder. And it's just unreal. But notice, that's not the Gospel. That's not Christianity. That's not the good news that we hold out to people. We hold out to people that He will transform us from the inside out. And so the question that I pose to you this morning is very simply that. Is your walk with God based on your performance or is it based on Christ's mercy? Or maybe let me ask the question in a a different way, a better way. What do you do when you fail? If you're like me, when you fail, you try harder. But what God is promising for His people is a new covenant where He's transforming us. Where try harder is not what He's asking us to do, but He's asking us to trust Him even more. He gives us a new covenant. The second thing that He tells us He's going to give us is a new heart. A new heart. Look at verse 33. He tells what this covenant is going to be like. He said, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. Listen, guys, the main difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is simply this. Under the Old Covenant, God gave His people laws to follow externally. Under the New Covenant, God is saying, I'm going to take my people and I'm going to put my law within them. I'm going to transform them from the inside out. The prophet Ezekiel foretells of this very same thing in Ezekiel 36. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He's saying, I'm not going to just give you an external list of laws to keep. I'm going to actually go inside and transform. Because that's where the problem is, right? The problem is not just that we break a few laws. The problem is inside of us, our hearts are evil. And so he's like, I'm going to fix the root problem. Many of you know, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I was was very sick. Sorry, Sari, I'm, I'm, I'm over it now. Everything's good. I, was, I had an upper respiratory infection. And, I've, I mean, you, you hear people talk about the man cold, the man flu, you know, where a man gets it and he thinks he's going to die, and a woman gets it and she just goes on like normal. That was me. I felt miserable for several days. And finally, I, I, I felt so bad that I'm like, I, I'm fine. I've just got to go to the doctor. I've got to go to an urgent care and I've got to get this, I've got to get this fixed. And of course, I go and, and what the doctor tells me, of course, and I know this, 
is you're going to just have to let it run its course. But I'm going to give you a couple of shots to help you get better. To help it run its course a little bit faster. You know, what the doctor did not do for me that day is he did not actually fix what was wrong with me. He just, he just helped my symptoms a little bit. Or actually, he helped them a lot. I felt a lot better. He just treated it from the surface. But he didn't do anything to help with the actual problem. Now, we think about the common cold. We think about you know, the stuff that, that goes around and, and, and respiratory illnesses. But actually, that, maybe that's a bad picture of what we're seeing here because the reality is with a, with a cold with a respiratory infection, you are actually going to trend upward. You're going to get better by yourself, most likely. So let's picture a different illness. Instead of, instead of something like that, let's picture maybe a terminal illness, like cancer. And I realize this, this may hit home for a lot of us, because we or somebody that we know has battled this disease, this terrible disease. When it comes to cancer, you can treat the symptoms all you want, but unless the doctors fight the cause, the person will not get better. And unlike the common cold where it will just eventually run its course, we know that that's not something that just runs its course. That's something that will result in death. No matter what we do to fight cancer, the only way that we can truly prevail against it is to get it out of our bodies. Maybe let's put this passage a different way. We are suffering from a spiritual cancer. And God is promising us hope. The same hope we looked at last week. From the beginning, He's been promising this hope. And the spiritual cancer that we're dying from. God doesn't just come along and say, I'm going to make your symptoms better. I'm going to make you comfortable while you die. He said, no, I'm going to actually go in and I'm going to fix the problem. The problem is we have an evil heart. And God says, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to give you a new heart. And notice, God does not change us from the outside in he changes us from the inside out. And He tells us that He'll give us a new heart. The result of us getting a new heart, the result of us being transformed, is what He says next. He says, I will be their God and they will be My people. Even with God giving us a new heart, we see that His, his mindset is on fellowship. He's giving us a new heart so that we can have fellowship with Him. Now that, that saying, I will be their God and they will be my people, that's repeated all throughout the Old Testament. Even from the beginning, we see that God's design is that His people would know Him. That they would have fellowship. Ezekiel 37 says, My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then at the very end of human history, Revelation 21, passage we're all familiar with, 
I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. In other words, the very thing that Jeremiah is prophesying about at the very end of Revelation we see coming to pass. At the very end of human history, God will say, finally, I have solved the problem and my people, I will truly dwell with them and be their God and they will be my people. And forevermore, we will never have a broken relationship with Him again. The result of God's transformation is fellowship with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're either new to the faith or maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you don't really know where you are spiritually. I want you to see that God promises a transformation from within. And the reason I want you to see that so clearly is because Oftentimes, we look at it the other way around. Oftentimes, we think that we just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We think that that's what religion is. Let me pull myself up. Let me make myself good. And what we see here is true freedom. True freedom. Freedom to follow and to know Christ knowing that as we follow Him and as we know Him, He's changing us from within. The one thing that will satisfy us forever is being promised to us right here. Knowing God. And it doesn't depend on our ability to keep the rules. So how do we have this relationship with God? I'm glad you asked final thing we see in this passage is that God gives us a new relationship. He gives us a new relationship. Verse 34. Notice what we just looked at. The result of a heart transformation is knowing God. And when God gives his people a new heart, look at what it says. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. God's saying, there's not going to be people that know me that have to go teach other people that have to go to, you know, you don't have part of the body of Christ that knows God and part of the body of Christ that doesn't really know Him and they have to teach the others saying, here's how you know the Lord. He's saying every one of His people will know Him. No one of, of the people of God will have to be taught this. It's automatic. When we, when we come to a saving faith in Christ, we are restored into a right relationship with God. And notice he says, they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest. Listen, this is great news. It doesn't matter whether you're a CEO, whether you're a janitor, whether, it doesn't matter where you are, whether you have a lot of money or a little money, it does not matter. From the least to the greatest God invites us to know Him. And so, there's no such thing as a Christian that does not know God. 
If you think, man, I don't really know God, it's all about church, and I'd say, you must not be a Christian. All of His people will know Him. Not just a group of spiritually elite people. How can a holy God have this kind of relationship with sinful people? Look at the very end in verse 34. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The barrier to knowing God is our sin. And God is promising here that He's going to know us and the way that He's going to do it is He's going to forgive us. Which brings us full circle. What is a covenant? It's an oath. What do they do when they make covenants? Maybe our language is a little off here because actually in in the Hebrew, it's not make a covenant. In Hebrew, the way that they say it is we're going to cut a covenant. Meaning the, the animals split in two. Here's my question. What is the sign of this covenant? Where are the animals that are split in two? How is God going to forgive His people? How is God going to do these things? We see that the sacrifice that's given for the new covenant is not just mere animals split in two. But y'all come in here real close. It is the Son of God torn for us. God meant business with His covenant. He wasn't just going to let animals represent it. He was going to send His Son to die. The blood of animals won't forgive anyone. And so God sends His Son to live the life that we should live. And y'all catch this, to die the death that we deserve to die. God can forgive their iniquity because His Son was crushed. I don't even know if Jeremiah knew the words he was prophesying, how they would be fulfilled thousands of years later. But we know, looking back, that this covenant comes about because of Christ's death. God gives us a new covenant. He gives us a new covenant. It's not about rule keeping anymore. He gives us a new heart. He transforms us from the inside out. Finally, He gives us a new relationship. All of God's people will know Him. And He does that by forgiving them of their sins. God desires a relationship with His people. I think the text makes it abundantly clear. So the question for us here this morning is, do you have that relationship? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian or you're, you're new in the walk, and the question for us all, do we have that relationship with God today? If we don't, if you don't, you can trust Christ today you can receive Him today. And I urge you to do that. This is the one thing that will satisfy you like nothing else. 
In just a moment when we sing, I urge you to come and to receive Christ. To receive forgiveness. To start this new relationship with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a struggling Christian. Maybe you're here today and you, you feel like your relationship with the Lord is not really getting anywhere. You feel like you're spinning your wheels. You feel like I'm just going through the motions. And if that's you, I just want to remind you what it says here. For you to, to respond to this would just be simply to rest in Christ's transformation. Maybe you're here this morning, you feel like a failure as a Christian. To you this morning, I just want to say, God does not give us a list of rules and say, if you keep these, then I will love you. Then I will accept you. He says, no, I love you. I accept you. And I'm transforming you. That's why Christianity is the only religion in the world that can truly say, come just as you are. You don't have to change. You don't have to, tra you don't have to transform yourselves. You don't have to keep the rules. You come just as you are. He meets you where you are. And then He transforms you from the inside out. And so if you're struggling here today, let me just remind you of that gospel truth that we don't save ourselves. He saves us. Rest in that church. Maybe if you're here this morning and you're a Sunday Christian, maybe you're here and, and for you, your Christianity is, I show up on Sundays and I, I fill a pew. For you, responding to this would simply be to ask yourself the question, do I really know God? Do I really walk with God in the way that the Scriptures tell us? Do I really have that intimate relationship with Him? Or am I just going through the motions hoping that by going to church, by doing the right things, God will accept me? If that's, if that's you, listen. What we hold out to you is the same Gospel that we hold out. We hold out to you to come, receive Christ, to know Him, and to stop trusting yourself to save yourself. Stop trusting your actions to save yourself. And finally, if you're here this morning and you know God, you, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know Him, I walk with Him. For you to respond to this would be simply be to rejoice. To rejoice knowing that we haven't saved ourselves. He has saved us. In just a second, we're going to sing a song of response. And as we do that, I'm going to ask you, whatever, wherever you are, wherever you are spiritually, to respond to what we've seen here. Maybe if, if that's you this morning, you need to rest in Christ. It may look like you just simply calling out to God where you are, or coming down to the front, kneeling at the altar and saying, God, help me to trust you more. Maybe if you feel far from God, that may look like you coming and saying, Lord, help me to trust you and know that you have done everything needed for me to be near to you. Maybe for some of you, that may look like you coming for the very first time and receiving Christ. Whatever it is, let's respond to God's word this morning in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you, Lord, that you have not just given us laws to keep 
that we don't, I'm thankful, Lord, that we don't follow a, a conditional covenant where if we do these things, then you will bless us. If we do these things, then you will accept us. But Father, thank you that you have unconditionally promised to us that you will do the work because Lord, if there was anything left up to me, I, would, I, I couldn't do it. If any of my salvation was left up to me, Lord, I would mess it up. Help us to see today, Lord, in this transformation, the whole point is for us to know you in a relationship that satisfies us like nothing else can. So, Lord, I pray that you would move in this place. Move in this place, Lord. Draw us near to you. In Jesus' name, amen.